This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon, and I am here with Mims. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, too. Did you have a good weekend? I did, yeah. Um, Spent a lot of time outside and with the family, so that's always nice. Yeah, definitely. It's been kind of gloomy, though. Yeah. You have a sweet family. Oh, thank you. They are amazing. (laughs) They are amazing. Definitely. Um, Anything that you have? There was a judge in Juneau County that a retired judge got murdered. Did you see that? I actually didn't. Okay, so apparently, wherever he lived in Juneau County, there was reports of gunfire. Mm-hmm. Somebody from in the home called and said that there was gunshots in the home. Okay. And when the police arrived, the judge was dead, and the suspect had a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was somebody that he, like, sentenced. It was. Oh, wow. Yeah, and apparently he had a hit list, which also included Tony Evers. But Tony Evers and his people are declining to comment on the situation. Yeah. And the attorney general said they will not be releasing the names of the other people that were on the list at this time. But I hope they're alerted, at least. Yeah, they've okay. been alerted, but it's... I guess it's a secret right now. They probably don't want other people to be like, well, he didn't finish the mission, so let me do it. Oh, yeah. I guess there's some logic to it, but I hope that they yeah. they are aware and that they're taking extra precautions. Yeah. That's so scary. Like, I didn't think that actually happened Especially in real life. Like, it was like in rural. There, It's just like a rural area in Wisconsin. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. County isn't like a happening crime place. No. And I don't know what previous conviction the man had but right so they haven't really said either not that i saw no i just saw them release that it was somebody that had been in front of the judge before oh which yeah I kind of assumed from the beginning like you did but yeah right yeah oh my gosh i wonder if that's like always in the back of their their minds when they're uh you know on a case a yeah presiding judge or whoever else is involved i wonder if they're always like kind of a little fearful of that yeah, I wonder if they think about that. I mean, some of the ways that some of these judges act, they don't think about it. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. they're all terrible to people. Some of them are. Some, yeah. Yeah. And even the ones that are, like, justified and saying, like, you're a terrible person and you're going to serve your whole life here. I mean, mm-hmm. they take that offensively, too, so. Yeah. I mean, I would. <laughs> I want to kill the judge. No. If they were like, ah, uh-huh. you're a terrible human being, I would feel bad about that yeah i mean that is a a, a blow <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely 
Um, so Johnny Depp won the case. I know you're like, oh, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I watched the verdict, though. You did? Oh, wow. Okay. Because my boss, well, former boss, I'm not employed anymore. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> my boss was watching it. He's like, hey, you want to watch the verdict? Like, Absolutely. I don't care about this, but yeah. It's Johnny Depp, though. Yeah. Yeah. I love him. I love him. Um, yeah, so he won 15 mil. Yeah. Which is awesome, and she is looking extra stupid. She looks stupid throughout the whole thing, but I'm glad that they, like, nailed her to it. Me too, because she just makes women look bad. Absolutely, yeah. Like, we already have to fight for people to believe anything we say. Yeah. And then we have dumb people like her. Yes. That make up stories. Yeah, and then basically is the abuser flips it around and then tries to make that person look like a terrible person yeah just to have more control yeah and it just makes me really sick i know i want to know how she got like this now like somebody used to do a breakdown of her psychology yeah right (laughs) how did she turn into this human we're done i i'm actually pretty done talking about amber heard i feel like she's (laughs) like so irrelevant so we're only talking about johnny depp from now on okay i hope that he can heal from this i hope me too i hope the money helps him heal (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna have um an expensive therapist and that's gonna cover it i hope yeah and some shopping yeah i would i I would go to shopping yeah Shopping yeah. therapy, that's the retail therapy. But is he ever going to actually see the money? Because, I mean, she doesn't really have that much money. She's just going to pledge it to him. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't take a pledge, but <laughs> I'd be like, I need to see some installments here. Yeah, that's the part I was wondering. Like, it's yeah. great that he won a judgment, but is he ever going to get the money? That, okay, so I've always wondered that because with my line of work as well, it's... I hardly ever see it come through, even with a money judgment. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why, if it's court ordered, then why isn't it being paid? Yeah. So that always frustrated me. Well, you can't pay if you don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, but they, they like, go out of their way to not make any money, mm. you know? Like, some yeah. people are like, well, I'm, I don't have a job, or, like, I'm only on whatever, and you can't garnish off of specific things right so that's also frustrating too yeah yeah i'm curious to see if he ever gets any money yeah i hope so i hope so too um i heard of a new podcast that i started listening to uh park predators have you heard of that oh man i don't know why i go down these rabbit holes because (laughs) i go hiking and i we do like an annual uh, like uh backpacking um like out west type of thing and we just Mm -hmm. hit like all the like really uninhabited areas in the woods and shit like that so i'm listening to this and i'm getting like very anxious (laughs) because our trip is in like a month and a half but then i also think to myself like okay it's more like mental preparation yeah just to see like what they do like how they lurk about like what you know just the signs and yeah that's how i think of it and it's also very interesting too yeah because so many things happen in national parks right and is that what it's about yeah yeah so a lot of that sounds interesting i'm on episode two so i got a long ways to go but it's very interesting so far yeah because people just vanish Mm mm-hmm 
and yeah. nobody knows if it's predators or aliens or <laughs> right nobody knows <laughs> all oh, right i thought of one more thing okay one of my friends heard that we were coming to champaign illinois and she lives in indiana she's like i'm gonna try to come and see you because you'll only be three hours away then that is like, awesome hey. oh my gosh so if you guys are just jumping in on this episode welcome yeah but we're talking about the convention that we're going to be in uh the dark horror and history convention in champaign illinois on august 19th and the 20th yeah um so be there or be square yeah come see us yeah it's gonna be fun we'll have maracas yeah we'll have maracas make it fun <laughs> really <laughs> You didn't okay. know this about me, but I am a huge Maraca player. Really? No. <laughs> I was like, this is a great new fact about you. No, but I should be. I, should be. I am interested. Now, now we have to get some. Right, yeah. <laughs> All the sins, Maracas. <laughs> we just start the podcast with the Maracas. Yeah, I mean, we're on to something, I think. We could be. Okay. Let us know. <laughs> All right. You ready to get into it? I'm ready. All right. I'm first today? Yes, you are. Okay. So today I am going to tell the story of the murder of Danielle Gorecki. I hope I'm saying her name right. My sources are newspaper.com, lacrossetribune.com, twincities.com, therepublicaneagle.com, Madison.com and of course Wisconsin Circuit Court Access. Mm-hmm. At around 4 a.m. on January 21st, 2007, the police were called to a drunk driving incident at a quick trip gas station in La Crescent, Minnesota. It's right over the border from La Crosse. Okay. So the responding officer, Scott Yider, found an individual by the name of Irvin Ramirez arguing with the store clerk. When the officer arrived, he observed that Ramirez had a large amount of blood on him and noticed that he appeared to be intoxicated. So he made contact with Ramirez. He ended up arresting him for operating while intoxicated. And then he Uh went to Ramirez's vehicle to investigate yeah get his keys whatever they have to do after the arrest okay and he noticed a purse that was spilled out in the car Mm, not a good sign no no there's no woman and there's just a random purse right yeah and the contents had been spilled out on the seat and one of the visible debit cards showed the name of danielle gorecki when the police so the officer called in, like, well, I found this purse. I have her ID. Can you do a record search and see if anything's come up about her? Mm-hmm. They found her sister's information. So Danielle's sister, Michelle, had called police around 6 a.m. that day and told the police that her sister was missing. She had came into town visiting from UW-Stevens Point, and the two had went out drinking to celebrate one of their birthdays. They had gotten separated sometime during the night. So when it comes to be 6 a.m. and she still can't find her sister, she calls her in missing. And now the police found her purse. Not not good. And Ramirez is covered in blood. So at this point, it still was a complete mystery as to how Ramirez ended up with Daniel's purse. He's not telling police anything. 
I don't think he even speaks very much English. Mm. So it's a complicated situation with him. Right. And then around 8 a.m. on the same day, a plow truck driver arrived to clear the parking lot at Christ Covenant Church and discovered a gruesome scene. The body of a young woman was laying in the snow at the base of the church steps. She was undressed from the waist down and there was blood around her. And they called the ambulance, but no signs of life were found. So authorities quickly identified the victim as Daniel Gretke, a college senior at UW-Stevens Point and a graduate of Lakeland Union High School in Manaqua. So she was apparently in my class because she graduated the same year I did, 2002. So in your class at the same time you were at this specific school? Yeah. And you didn't know her? No. Wow. Yeah, we went to the same high school. Was it a large class? Yeah. Okay. So that's what one of my friends had told me about this last weekend. We were talking about our podcast and I was like... Yeah, I don't know what to talk about. And she's like, well, did you tell the story about the girl that got found on the church steps that was in our class? And I said, I don't remember that. Don't you love when you're having that conversation and somebody's like, well, I have a story for you? Yeah. There's endless stories. Yeah. So this was my friend Cassidy. And she's like, yeah, she went to school with us. You don't remember? And I was like, no, I don't remember. So she had sent me an article. So then I was like, oh, I got to look into this. Very interesting. So, they start investigating, and the investigation showed that Danielle had received multiple contusions and lacerations to her head and face. She had signs of being struck in her head and her spine. Ugh. And her cause of death was found to be blunt force trauma without the use of a weapon. Have you wow. ever heard that before? No. That was the first time I ever heard that. You just said that, and I was, like, processing for a second, and I'm, like, without the use of a weapon. So, like, they use their bare hands to do this. Yeah. I had to read it, like, five times to make sure that's what it said. Wow. That's brutal. Yeah. Ramirez was quickly charged with first-degree intentional homicide, attempted second-degree sexual assault, and robbery with the use of force. As the trial progressed, prosecutors described the brutal attack that Danielle must have endured. And then the prosecutor described, this part is extra disturbing. Okay, warning. Warning. While Ramirez was in custody to be questioned about the drunk driving before they knew Danielle was dead, he was licking the blood off his fingers. No. Yeah. Mm Mm-mm. Off. Like, that's probably hers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, however, his defense team has a very different story of the events. Yeah, you can't really defend licking somebody else's blood off of your fingers, but okay, let's see. Let's I, see how this goes. I, yeah, I don't know how you account for the licking of the blood of, yeah, even if it's, I don't care whose it is, it's fucking weird. That is weird. I Just be normal and wipe it off on your <laughs> jeans like everybody else. <laughs> right. He's already covered in blood. Yeah. So. Um, they said that Ramirez stumbled across a very injured Danielle. Kay. He was looking for somewhere to go pee outside. He was also very intoxicated. Mm-hmm. So he stumbled across her and 
he panicked because he didn't want to get caught with this very injured woman. Yeah. So he gave her his cell phone to call for help, and he ran. Mm. And the last call that was made on his phone was to Danielle's mother. That's weird. Right? So I don't know if he tried to call her mom or he actually did give her the phone to try to call her mom. And why are you rolling in her blood then? Why do you have her purse? Like you? Yeah, the, it doesn't make any sense. No. But the phone thing was weird to That me. is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would have made sense if it was like her phone and he dialed her mom. But sure. it was his phone. You're, so she had to have given him the number he got the number from her phone i don't know right they didn't really go into it but you know i fix it <laughs> find something to fixate on in these stories and yeah. that was like so strange did she answer it was just a three second call so i'm guessing she didn't answer because mm. it was probably between four and six in the morning right um despite his claims of innocence the prosecution provided extensive evidence of his guilt of course right. including her DNA on him and his DNA on her and the jury would only take three hours to convict him yeah yeah they're like this is pretty open and shut case mm-hmm. and then when it came to sentencing Danielle's family spoke up about the extreme emotional damage their family has endured and asked for him to be sentenced to the maximums like her poor sister feels like she's somehow responsible because they got separated <clears throat> and she has that guilt and she asked her to come there and it's just so terrible. It is, because obviously it is not her fault. Right. But it's hard to reason in this type of situation. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel very bad for them. Yeah. But then you have Ramirez's girlfriend and the mother of his child, and she expressed her belief in his innocence and her desire to have him home with their family. She could not believe that a wonderful man like him could do something so heinous. She said he is the best person that she's ever met, and she can't see him ever doing this. So I feel bad for her and their child as well, because they didn't ask for this either. Correct, yeah. every He had a ripple effect on all these people. Yeah. And his defense attorney just asked that he could have the possibility of parole someday, like a little glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. The judge wasn't having it. Right. The judge ultimately sentenced Ramirez to life without parole. And Ramirez has filed numerous post-conviction motions without success. And he still proclaims his innocence. And because he's never admitted guilt, no one knows exactly what happened to Danielle. Like, how the two ended up together or, like, what brought this situation on. Because he's never told anyone. Right. Which is also weird that all this all this time that he's still like, nope, nope, didn't do it. Yeah, he's still filing motions. He filed one in 2021. Right. I just, if you, why couldn't he explain why he had her purse? Why couldn't he explain why he was covered in her blood? Like, if he could maybe explain that, it could create some doubt if he didn't do it. Right. And I don't know if... It's like a communication issue because he doesn't speak English. He's speaking through an interpreter at these hearings. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's part of the issue. 
or if he thinks if he keeps proclaiming his innocence that he has a chance one day. Yeah. Ugh, that's so frustrating. Yeah. It's very confusing because I always think if people do it, if you did it and you're caught, Mm -hmm. you should just confess and tell people what happened. So the family's not left with all these questions. Right. But I don't know. But while I was researching this story, I came upon a tragic story that happened recently that I wanted to discuss briefly. Okay. So on May 22nd of 2022... A 15-year-old Logan High School student, Storm Von Dreschik, was killed. So he was found with multiple gunshot wounds after police responded to calls of gunshots in the area. And the police reportedly discovered another victim, a 17-year-old who had a gunshot wound and was transported to the hospital. So on Friday, June 3rd, just this last Friday... An 18-year-old boy, Sage Hick, turned himself into police for the shooting. He was going to be charged with first-degree intentional homicide, and his bond hasn't been set yet. Mm. And the other 17-year-old boy was booked into jail the day after the shooting, and he was charged with endangering safety by use of a dangerous weapon and disorderly conduct while armed and possession of a weapon by a person under 18. So the early reports indicate that the three of them at, had been arguing on the phone when Von Dreschik and the other boy pulled up to the apartment building where Hick was located. And I don't know if it's Hick or Hickey because it's H-I-C-K-E. Oh. So it's maybe know. Hickey. Maybe Hickey. So he came outside and the three of them got in an altercation and then Hick or Hickey shot Van Dreschik and the other boy. Mm-hmm. So, police describe finding a firearm at the scene, but they do not believe it was the one used in the homicide. So, they believe that the two boys that came over to Hickey's house, the one that got shot and lived, and the one that's deceased, one of them had the weapon when they came there. But I'm reading this, like, why do all these teenagers have guns? Yeah, I don't know how that happens. That's very uh, disturbing. Yeah. I was like, what is going on here Mm -hmm. that nobody is in control where their weapons are? Right, or like, right, and I don't know, because I guess it depends on, like, what kind of household you have, because Jake, my husband, grew up in a, in like a rural Mm -hmm. um, place, and they have like a gun closet. They didn't have it locked up or anything like that. Right. Um, They knew where, like, everything was the bullets and everything yeah um and they pra- they got their hunter safeties at mm-hmm. a, like 13 so right, right away so they're very familiar with that and they had access to it so but that's normal for them right and they're not like crazy and shooting people up so i just right man it's just so different and i feel like if their parents would have seen signs that they were not stable enough to have weapons, they then they would have locked them up. I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, my kids all know gun safety. They know how to shoot a gun, all of that. Right. But I wouldn't leave my gun out for them to possibly take to school with them or take to go fight this other kid. And it sounds like the one might have been living by himself that he's 18, so where oh. did he get the gun from? Right, yeah. I don't know. Guns it doesn't are, sound like these were hunting guns. I, they haven't said what kind of gun it was. Right. But right. 
if they're handguns, then... They're so easily accessible to everybody. I just don't yeah. I get it. Yeah, they are. It's harder to get a gun legally than it is to get one illegally. Very true. <laughs> and I think that's the way it is for almost anything. Yeah. It's so much easier to get something illegally than legally. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking about, like, how crazy that that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just legalize it. Because <laughs> if I want to go buy a gun, you know, I'll probably have to wait three days. But right, yeah. if one of these, one of these teenagers can just go to another teenager, yeah, and say, "Hey, I need a gun," mm-hmm. and then somebody brings them a gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. It is craziness. Okay, so that's my stories about lacrosse today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Lacrosse. Lacrosse has some problems, I discovered. Yeah, <laughs> and I always thought lacrosse was more like a quiet type of area. There's a lot of murders there. It's kind of like Madison, where like the college area leads to people being intoxicated, and uh-huh. then with that you have sexual assaults and murders, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's a big drug problem, I think. I mm. saw some drug-related murders, too. Oh, jeez. Drugs are everywhere, though. They are, but I don't think people realize that. Because on the news, we're always like, oh, Milwaukee. Yeah. It's in Milwaukee. Yeah. Well, these kids are in lacrosse and appearing to be good, upstanding citizens that are... But behind closed doors are doing lines of coke, because, come on, this is college. True. (laughs) True story. (laughs) All right. That's all I got for you. Okay. Well... I'm going to celebrate Gay Pride Month. Yay! Woohoo! Okay, I got my sources from Our Lives Wisconsin, the Cinemaholic, It's Crime O'Clock. I love that. Ooh, that's fun. Uh, and um, Find a Grave. That was a um, obituary. Okay. So, here it goes. This is the tragic story of the amazing Andrew Nesbitt. Andrew was born and raised in Menominee, Michigan, and had 10 sisters and one brother. Oh my goodness. Frickin' huge family. I can't fathom committing to having 12 kids. Could you imagine, like, one day you're like, I'm gonna have a big-ass family, and I'm gonna push out 12 kids. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) We have seven, and it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what I would do with another five. Right, like, what do you do? I wouldn't be able to keep track of them. Yeah. How do you track all these kids and where they're going and what they're doing? Yeah, I think it's a lot of... I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. Because, I mean, with with my amount of kids, and one of them is grown now, so I don't really have to worry about what he used to be. Yeah. So I still have six that I have to keep track of. Right. I don't know how you Something do that. Something falls through the cracks all the time. I forget a permission slip. I got to drop off shorts at school. Like, it, it, there's always something. I can't For remember sure. everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it does probably help that there is huge age gaps and maybe there is help yeah. a little bit for yeah. the one a little bit older. So maybe right. that makes it a little bit better. Yeah. But if the oldest kid is a helpful kid. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> My... they're not always. No. You're right. Hopefully they're helpful yeah <laughs> but they don't have to me they're they're kids so yeah um my friend is married to a, a guy who is part of uh, 12 kids mm. he's a baby Aww. yeah so um the oldest is was like now is like 60 50 okay. something so like 
they were well out of the house by the time he was, you know, entered. Oh, okay. So that must help. Yeah. You know, having a, a some of them already out and yeah, living their own lives as adults. Yeah. Anyways, wow, what a tangent. Okay. Uh, so he was described as a, this is Andrew, he was described as a wonderful human being and as an asset to society. Aw, that's well, a great way to be described. I know, like, you're an asset here in the world. I'm like, I thanks. That. I'm yeah. going to start telling people that. Yeah, that is, I tell people, <laughs> you're chef's kiss. And they're like, what? <laughs> okay, so... This always makes me really sick, though, when a terrible human being chooses to end the life of a person that's positively part of society. Right. Um, So he was incredibly friendly and supportive. He was known as one to spread joy everywhere he went. He also couldn't bear to see anyone suffering, and his roommate believes that Andrew was trying to help the person who ultimately ended his own life. Ended his life. Oh, wow. I said that weird. Um, so, unfortunately, Andrew was a victim to cruelty and bigotry throughout his life. In 2011, on Christmas Eve, Andrew was attacked by two men outside of a bar in Oshkosh on account of him being gay. So, I'm 5'1", and I'm mostly non-threatening. However, let it be known that if there's any sort of bullying due to someone's sexual orientation, I will body slam you. Me too. Good. Yes. We'll do it together. Yes. Uh, So this attack left him severely injured, and he had to seek out extensive medical care. He had missing teeth, a broken jaw, and he had to get a steel plate into his head. Oh my god, so it was really bad. These men caused him brain swelling that could have killed him, and letting or being somebody that beats somebody nearly to death doesn't make you righteous or any more religious. It makes you literally the scum of the earth so yes if you ever think that's justified i hope that you're listening and know that it's not i don't think they're listening well (laughs) fuck you then um they only served two years in prison so yeah andrew worked diligently over the years to recover physically and emotionally and then decided to move on and he moved to madison On March 26, 2017, a day before Andrew's 47th birthday, he decided to go out in the evening and party into the early hours of the following day, you know, to try to get into that party mode, birthday mode. He shared an apartment in Madison with his friend Rachel Bauer, who was out of town and couldn't get to his birthday. However, Rachel was the first person to discover Andrew's body after returning to their apartment the morning after on March 27th, his Aww. birthday. It kind of sent me chills when I realized that he died on the day that he was born. Like, that is kind of freaky to me. It is. Uh, so she alerted the police immediately and authorities arrived to find Andrew with zero signs of life. He was definitely gone. At first glance, it was clear that the that he was a victim of a frenzy attack. He was stabbed around 70 times. Oh, my God. However, the police were surprised to find no evidence of forced entry. But that doesn't mean much to me because there could have been multiple multiple circumstances where he, like, he was followed home mm-hmm. and then just kind of, like, slipped in while he was opening the door. Yeah. Or maybe, like, they forced him to open the door so obviously there wouldn't be anything 
like slammed open or maybe mm-hmm. he met somebody yeah and then it turned out to be terrible yeah so um all of this came to light soon enough as we live in a constant state of surveillance yes we do so the initial progress in the case was quite tricky as authorities had no evidence lead or eyewitnesses to depend on however once officers knew that andrew was out celebrating the night before which i feel like should have been the first thing that they knew about because that was a whole he was going out that was his birthday like yeah. he, they should have known that like from the get mm-hmm. so they retraced the steps through uh, cctv footage Determining the route Andrew would take back to his apartment, the police were able to place him at Kelly's Market on East Washington Street, purchasing a jug of milk at about 3.30. I'm like, who just, like, thinks (laughs) I'm going to go get myself some milk after, like, a good party at 3.30? I'd be like, get me a sloppy pizza. Yeah. Not a jug of milk, but to each their own. (laughs) He was seen talking to someone outside the market, and then at 3.42 a.m., he walked towards his apartment at about two, three blocks away. The unknown man walked closely behind him as well, so it seemed like he was leading him back to his apartment. Hmm. And what his roommate thought was he must have noticed that he was, like, in need of some help. And was offering him, like, maybe some food or something like that. And it will make sense later. Okay. So, authorities were extremely thorough in their investigation and did not leave any stone unturned, which I'm pretty proud of. Because I feel like in this circumstance, a lot of police officers are like, well, he's gay, maybe he deserved it. Or something like that. Yeah. Which is never something that we want to hear. So... They poured through the footage and were able to recover surveillance footage from a neighboring bike shop and the dash cam of um, a cab. Although unable to identify the man through the footage, the, uh, the Madison Police Department circulated a photo among the police forces. And I'm glad that they were working together on this, too, because yeah. you can often ta- oftentimes they don't. Right. So they did a good job on this. So, it was determined that the mystery man was Derek Anderson. Additionally, they even realized that Andrew was the one who left Derek, or let him into the apartment. So, like I said before. Okay. So, he... Derek was hard to track due to him being um, homeless at that time. So, Mm -hmm. he didn't have a permanent address. So, what is theorized is that he must have stepped outside he's seen that he was out there maybe asking for like money or like food or something like that and then he was like i have a place for you to crash just with him being so good natured yeah so on march 28th 2017 the day after andrew's body body was discovered derek was arrested on suspicion of theft and turned over to madison police although derek insisted on his innocence and claimed he had nothing to do with the crime, forensic evidence from the crime scene nailed him. When the police arrested him, his hands had deep cuts on all of his fingers, and he had stitches. Oh my goodness. His DNA was also a match to items in Andrew's apartment, and some of his blood was there too, so. Yeah. So the police finally arrested Derek Anderson and charged him with the death of Andrew Nesbitt. 
Derek pleaded not guilty and claimed that he was not mentally sane during the murder. Um, he claimed that he was in distress, didn't know what was happening, and blacked out. However, the jury did not see seem to agree. After a short deliberation, he was convicted of first-degree intentional homicide. Based on the jury's decision, Derek Anderson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in 2018. Good. And he is currently uh, incarcerated at the Columbia Correctional Institution in Portage, Wisconsin. Hopefully he doesn't escape. (laughs) Yeah, like, no. (laughs) Um, Every time I hear Columbia now, I'm going to think about the people escaping. Right? So I have some statistics that is relevant to the LGBTQ plus community that I think is important to share. So it's important to be educated on cases like this and to know the gravity of danger this community faces in their daily lives. And I don't care if you agree or if you think it's immoral or if if it's against your religion. I think if you're a good person, you would always want to be educated um, just so that you know more about some things that you don't know. Right. So everyone except murderers and rapists deserve respect knowing that they can walk around out of their home without being abused or attacked. And I lost my spot, sorry. Um, So many hate violence homicides of the LGBTQ people often go unreported and the actual number is higher. The Room to Be Safe anti-violence program offers safety tips if you are heading out, um, so into the community. Mm -hmm. But remember, if you follow all of these safety tips and violence happens, even though you're going by the book, it is not your fault. Right. Definitely not. You can visit their website for suggestions. The link will be listed in our show notes. And the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs also support the LGBTQ and HIV-affected survivors of all forms of violence, including hookup, dating, sexual, intimate partner, hate, and police violence. And if you have witnessed or experienced violence, contact Kathy Flores through Diverse and Resilience Room to be safe. So the anti-violence program by calling or texting 414-856-LGBT, which is 5428, or the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs 24-Hour English and Spanish Hotline at 212-714-1141. Andrew was put to rest at Forest Home Cemetery and is remembered by all of his friends and family and the people that he had a positive effect on. And if you're actually interested in watching more of Andrew's story, there is an episode on See No Evil on ID titled Happy Birthday to Drew. And I wanted to end with like a final thought on my end. So the different sectors of life that this community is negatively affected in is... They struggle to get equal access in health care, employment, and education. Additionally, their close circles, as in their families and friends and peers, teachers, may also be the source of an assault, abuse, or prejudice. Mm-hmm. And we're asking for you to be the difference in the life of a member of the LGBTQ community. Just be kind and be normal t- towards them and just yeah. show compassion because they're just people like us. Definitely. And that is the story of Andrew Nesbitt. He is an amazing, or was an amazing person, and 
did not deserve what had happened to him throughout his life. No, he didn't. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Do you think things are getting better, like, in our area? Hmm. It seems like my kids, like, my middle schoolers, they don't care at all about sexual orientation, gender preferences, anything. They're just like... It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. I think that it's more normal now to not be straight. Right. And there is actually a spectrum where people aren't 100% straight. And I know a lot of people will disagree with me on it, but it's, I don't know what the spectrum is called, but it's an actual thing. Yeah. Where you could be 2%, you -hmm. know, or you can be 98%. Right. So everybody has a little bit in them to which degree is obviously up to you. It's internal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the the more that people are making themselves be educated is yeah helpful. Right. But there's so many people our age and then the generation to come that know this, that right. it's not, in, it's a non-issue. And yeah. I think it's just generational prejudice that keeps getting passed down. That's the only yeah. thing that's lingering. I think so, too. So I'll tell you a story. Hopefully, she doesn't mind me telling you. But <laughs> we can snip it out. <laughs> um, my daughter, that's sixteen, she is gay. Mm-hmm. She said she was bi first, and now she's like, I think I'm just gay. Okay. But yeah. So last week, she's like, Can you help me pick out an outfit for tomorrow? It's the beginning of Pride Month. Yeah. And I was like, Sure. And she said, I think I'm gonna tell my friends. And I said. I thought you did already. And she said, well, I told, like, a couple people, but I'm telling everybody tomorrow. Oh, and I was like, okay. My heart. And so when I got her from school, I was like, how did it go? She said, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, cool. But that's so different from yeah. before. Like, people right. would never want to just shout it to everybody. And yeah. then they would be, like, getting the shit kicked out of them instead of, like, yeah, yeah so. <laughs> yeah, her friends were like okay right cool. like we don't look at you any differently it doesn't matter to us i love that so i love that we need more kids yeah. to grow up this way yeah to well, be that was them. my reaction when she told me to i was like yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> she's like okay what how did you know or do you think that that's too personal i mean i could just i don't know i don't know how i knew you just had a gut feeling yeah okay yeah i, I feel like most feeling parents know yeah and then i saw some messages in her phone to a girl <laughs> oh and then i was like do you have something to tell me mm-hmm. and she's like well i was kind of nervous i was like i don't know why i don't care who you date as long as they're nice to you right and that's that's all that should be expected yeah don't it doesn't matter who you're with as long as they're a good person yeah so be a good person today yeah just be a good person <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a wrap for me. All right. We love you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at all the sins of wi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts.
And don't, don't forget, forget, we love you. Love you.